With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. Welcome to the Evolution of Business podcast. Business is a series of evolutions. This podcast explores how to stay relevant in the hearts and minds of the people you choose to serve. It will look for the lessons and the failures of the past and share the success of those getting it right today. What is the next evolution of your business? Now, here's your host, Dave Clare. All right. Welcome back to the Evolution of Business show. I'm your host, Dave Clare. And today I have a very, very special guest who I've known probably for about eight years, but I've only just met today for the first time. Uh, and our guest is Borby Webster. And Borby is a violist, entrepreneur, educator, presenter, and producer. Uh, and she is the founder and CEO of the Perth Symphony Orchestra. Uh, and I love this. It's an orchestra that's designed to break the rules. And I'm sure we're going to learn a lot about the rules that Borby's been breaking uh, with the Press Symphony Orchestra as we go through this. But it has a really cool mission, which is about music for everyone. Now, the, the Perth Symphony Orchestra was founded back in 2011 with a massive ambition uh, to reach new audiences, to retain talent here in West Australia, which is a wonderful goal, um, to create jobs and to showcase amazing talent as well. But since 2011, they've performed to over 350,000 people from Karatha to Kwanana, didn't go any further south than Kwanana, um, playing Vivaldi to Nirvana. That almost rhymes, eh? Karatha to Kwanana and playing Vivaldi to Nirvana. Uh, and has paid over $2 million in fees to artists uh, and works with over 150 musicians and creates pathways into careers for people with amazing talent in the music industry. Uh, but she's also a supporter of community engagement programs, which I'm really going to look to ex uh, explore a little bit through this podcast because she does so much amazing work for, for youth as well. But 2019 WA... Uh, of the Year in Arts and Culture, WA Person of the Year in Arts and Culture, and winner of 40 Under 40 Entrepreneurs, and a finalist in the Telstra Business Woman of the Year, uh, our friend and guest today, Borby Webster. Borby, welcome to the Evolution of Business show. Thank you for having me. Oh, it is so great uh, to actually have you on the show uh, for a multitude of reasons. One, because it was great to finally meet you face to face. Absolutely, same. Uh, from that time way back, because we walked in the door here and like, we knew each other, mm -hmm. but we're like, where did we meet again? Where did we meet again? <laughs> like, I remembered um, because we, uh, when I was the president of Spalding Park Golf Club up in Geraldton, West Australia, and we were running these really awesome concerts uh, on the greens there uh, to raise funds for people and doing some really amazing stuff. And we had this goal or vision at the club to um, kind of create this Lewin, of, Lewin estate of the north. And you'd seen something that we're doing, I think, on whether it mm. might have been on social medias or whatever at the time. And then you reached out about this amazing idea to bring the PSO to Midwest, which we have almost got close to doing eight years later, but hasn't happened yet. <laughs> Inching our way closer. <laughs> However, if we had not had that interaction, we would not be sitting here on the couch today talking about the evolution of the Perth Symphony Orchestra and yourself. That so is there's at least a starting true. win that here. That is very true. <laughs> um, so... I, as I was going through your, and I'm making notes about your, your bio, like it is so amazing, um, the things that you've accomplished and a bunch of stuff. Like I 
I had to cut half of it out. Um, we could have just done this whole podcast. I could have just read about your bio and like, <laughs> but I didn't want to take away all your thunder from all that sort of oh. stuff. And, um, but for the audience, could you just share with us, um, you know, over the last, well, how many years now? Because obviously this was since 2011 you mm -hmm. started this, but how you got into this, where it all began, you know, lay back on the couch, back in year three. Uh, but just give us a story, Warby, the Warby Webster story and how you got into where you are today. Oh, goodness me. Um... Are you sure? And I'm, you, this is a long story. Yeah, no, I, 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 okay, I will. I will. I'm going to give you a concise. full ten minutes. Right. Look, it, it's just all about music. <laughs> yeah. Quite frankly, and that music is an unbelievable part of my life, as I think it is actually a vast number of people. You know, I meet people who, whatever their day job, will say to me, but every night I go home, put music on. As soon as I get in the car, I put music yeah. on. Like music is so much a part of everyone's life. But I don't even remember learning how to read music. I don't really remember wow. how to play. I sort of remember Caterpillars on a stave, but it was just something I He's feel that I always could do. one of these people who can just hear something and play and... Yeah, look, I'm not that, it's not <laughs> that annoying, but give me a couple of runs and yeah. Okay, yeah. So, But I think most particularly classically trained musicians mm. are because our ears, you mm. know, the repetition, the hours of practice. Um, although I really, you know... God, when I listen to a jazzer and they just spontaneously can bust out something, yeah. I'm like, I can do that if you give me a piece of paper with some dots on. Yeah. So trust me, within the music industry, there's a lot of envy. There's yeah. a lot of mutual respect, I should say. Yes. But look, you know, I grew up in a village where music was everything and it gave me my identity. It gave the village its culture and identity. It punctuated the year. We always knew we were rehearsing for the Christmas concert. We mm. always knew we were rehearsing for the village carnival. Or There was everything revolved around that and that was the kind of joy so fast forward to me moving to Australia in 2000 just yeah. after the Olympic Games and I, I won't shame the suburb that I moved to but it was like where's the orchestra to join or there isn't one is there a choir no is there, is there anything uh well no but you can go to the city and that to me was like really you have to go to the city they didn't even have a karaoke bar at the no <laughs> like, no so it was literally you're not on like... the map if you don't have a karaoke bar i know <laughs> and everyone i spoke to was it was just this repeated mantra everyone my age was bobby symphony's not my thing and this was just a bit heartbreaking because when you've grown up in england and we are everyone is so familiar with a symphony orchestra it doesn't matter what your background this isn't just for people that are wealthy and wear pearls and you know tailored jackets go. it is a fantastic mass of sound that gives everyone goosebumps and we have orchestras that play in fields in the UK musicians will come they get out of London they get out of Manchester they play for communities and people from an hour around will come from villages to a place and listen to an orchestra wow. and it's the thing the whole family goes to three generations you know there, there are so many differences from sport for example that it's not a gender thing it's not an age thing it's not a cultural background thing you know that oh we play this kind of sport or this kind of, no yeah. like it is literally the one thing that unites everyone so fast forward come forward to perth and i'm like where is it all yeah, i well. mean look we you know we had a magnificent and still do magnificent symphony orchestra was it um you know but at the time they were fairly traditional mm. and a huge majority of what they did was in the one venue yeah and if you weren't going to get in the car and go so and like the sit there concert and, hall or correct and yeah. you know do a polite smattering yeah. applause then there wasn't something for you and that's you know mm. and I, I sincerely hope that the more people we get into the symphony orchestra the more people will appreciate what was it does in the concert hall yeah. um 
but there was just a huge demand, a monster demand. And couple that with the fact that I met so many amazing musicians. It was so surprising that you could have a place that hadn't got a culture of orchestras and classical music and Western art music and all the music I'd grown up with in every nook and cranny of every suburb. And yet here was this gifted talent. And I was like, what is inspiring them to play this well or practice? I mean, when I was at the Royal College of Music, there was some Japanese 16-year-old on one side and some Ukrainian 18-year-old on the other side, both playing concerti as if they'd been born virtuosos. And you're like, God, I've got to practice some more, listen to that, you know. Whereas I was like, here in Perth, they don't have that. This isn't a mecca of international talent. So what is it that drives West Australians, not just in music, to be that good? And I think there's just this curiosity and a a wish to express and a wish to find their own identity and culture. Mm. So, yeah, so I was like, my God, this is ridiculous. Everyone I met that was gifted or talented was on a plane. And I'm like, why? And they're like, well, why would you stay? You know, there's one job a year if you're lucky as a performer. There was no, you know, major classical music festival. There is no freelance scene other than the odd gig that passed through town you know the the number of things that could be you know there could be three or four professional chamber orchestras Haydn you know classical orchestra romantic orchestra chamber music ensembles I mean there's just still so much potential in Western Australia to grow music and it was heartbreaking just the number of people that was the symphony's not my thing and I was like I, I really would love you to experience what I know is the symphony yeah and just to see if the impact on your life is the impact that it has on my life and the fact that we've now played to over 350,000 people crazy. and we've increased to 260 musicians on the database oh wow and you know this Jeez. orchestra only played for the first time eight years ago if that doesn't show you that actually most western australians when they do discover a symphony that the stereotypical image of a symphony orchestra of being a slightly highbrow thing for educated or whatever it might be, whatever that preconception is, whatever those preconceived ideas are, absolutely is not the truth, is not the truth that music can touch absolutely anyone. And I love seeing people discover that for the first time. It's like popcorn, watching them go. Yeah. (laughs) Watching the goosebumps happen and the tears suddenly start. So It's a bit like opera. Like people say, like, either you love opera or you don't. You know, it's kind of thing, but... There's nothing to, you know, unless you go to Queen, which is like rock opera at the time. But is there, there's, because it's interesting you talk, and I don't want to cut your whole story off at the moment, but I, I did do some work with some musicians, especially in the Midwest, in which I was doing the concerts. But um, I always used to tell them as a non-musician in that sense, um, although if you, my dad who likes to play the guitar, he met some musos at the airport and they said, if you play the guitar, you're a musician. Don't deny yourself as a, you are a musician, yeah. which is beautiful. Um, so true. But I, it's like, They'll use Jason Mraz, for example. He had a bunch of albums out, but he had a small following and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Then he released I'm Yours, which he'd actually written five years before. Mm-hmm. And it's what I said, I kind of like it as a bridging song. Yes. That created a bridge for people to walk across. They go, that sounds pretty cool. What else have you got? Absolutely. And and that's, Absolutely. that's what was coming to mind as you're talking about, you know, the, mm-hmm. the journey you're on. And it's almost like the the PSO, the Perth Symphony Orchestra, has created a bridge to bring people to symphony. Precisely, precisely. Yeah. Exactly that. I, you know, we use the word accessible unashamedly yeah. um, because we want to provide access to a whole world of music that literally can be life-changing. Mm. And, you know, it's really interesting the number of people that have tried us 
that didn't think they were going to like us and have yeah. come away saying, I have not experienced a physical emotion in response to music like that in my life before. Wow. And this might be someone who's an Iron Maiden fan listening to Beethoven for the first time. Yeah. So it, it's, so we've really thought very carefully about, so what is it that's going to make this music accessible? I don't want to change the music. Beethoven knew what he was doing. Yeah. So how do I make that accessible? And that's mm. where we've had to break the rules. Yeah. Of how it's normally packaged. So what does that mean? What does that look like when you say you break the rules and how it's normally packaged? Well, so... if you think of going to a traditional classical concert, yeah. that you would go to an established concert hall, you'd turn up in the foyer and collect your tickets, you'd mm. pick up a program, there'd be a gentle pitter-patter of conversation for five or ten minutes, but as soon as you go in, you, you've left your drink behind, Yes. you sit next to your friend staring at the stage yeah. and you're... I, I love this, by the yeah. way, because yeah. I, I love going to the concert hall. Yeah. Um, but, you know, for most people, you're sort of sitting there going, OK, I'm a bit hungry. I've shot here from work yeah. and I haven't really got time to read the program because this is a pretty mammoth program. And the people whose music I'm going to be hearing, I can't pronounce their surname. Right. And I certainly can't pronounce the name of the soloist or conductor. <laughs> but I'll sit here for the next two hours listening to something I've never heard before without a drink in my hand. And by pretty much after the interval I might have gulped down a cold glass of red wine at which mm. point I'm starving and I'm slightly pissed I'm then going to go back in to listen to another hour of something I understand even less yeah. um, and, and, you wish you had more to drink. and I'm pretty much going to be either that or you're sitting there thinking about the wet washing that you really should have hung yeah. out on the line that day and what yeah. emails should you send tomorrow you know and yeah. That's a ridiculously common scenario. And that would be the same if you went to see a pop artist whose songs you've never heard before. Mm. And by the second hour of listening to unfamiliar music in a venue where you cannot move, mm. woe betide you if you make the tiniest rustle. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, literally don't yeah. even wipe your nose. I mean, yeah. it is, I mean, that is, I, I have no doubt that that's hugely yeah. challenging. Yeah. So take all of that. Don't start your concerts at 7.30. Make sure people are fed and watered. Make sure they've got alcohol. Make sure they can move around. Make sure they can chat. Make sure the music sets don't go on longer than 20 minutes. Make sure you're playing something that looks as well as sounds incredible. So at yeah. least there's something visual mm. if you're not quite getting what you're listening to. Yeah. Make sure the setting is somewhere new and exciting that you feel that you've discovered. Make sure you're meeting people that you wouldn't normally meet, that it's not socially exclusive. You're not just there to listen. You're there to socialize and meet. So by doing all of those things and by saying, well, how do we make it feel more like a night at a restaurant with friends with yeah, some great. beautiful music? So, I mean, our concerts, Beethoven Beer and Breakfast at Bee Shed. So you watch the sunset on the harbour and watch tankers come in and you're trying out some Bavarian beer and you've yeah. got some, you know, there's an umpire band yeah, welcoming you on arrival. Yeah, yeah, Correct. Yeah, yeah. You're wiping mustard off your face yeah. while you're listening to Beethoven. <laughs> and suddenly people just go, this is incredible. The sun oh, is yeah. setting, the tankers chugging in, these amazing musicians are playing, the sun, the, the, the venue's lit rosy pink from the sunset. This, I feel alive. I'm drinking mm. rustic beer. I've got my mates around me. I've yeah. just met some really cool people at the bar. Yeah. And we're standing at the back chinking our glasses listening to Beethoven. Yeah. It doesn't get better than this. So I'm like, yep, job done. Yeah. And so that's what you created. Mm -hmm. Wow. And then, so now, uh, gosh, nine years into it. <laughs> Crazy. Does it, has it flown by or is it... Uh, Oh my gosh, in some ways, you know, I remember wiping the dirt from under my fingernails, packing up the first concert, yeah. thinking, what have I done? This is yeah. exhausting. And then I look at my team, you know, particularly when the office is buzzing and there's seven or eight people sitting at their desks mm. and every single person is busy and musicians are popping in to pick up music folders yeah. and everyone's tapping at their computers, creating something. I'm like, wow, wow. Yeah. You've almost got the oh my gosh. Perth Symphony Orchestra. 
Uh -huh. It's like this clatter of keyboards and the chiming of doors opening and closing. And there you go. Yeah, see, uh, yeah modern music. music. Yeah, modern music. Modern music, music <laughs> right there. <laughs> Clicking of mouses happening. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, there, there are definitely moments where I'm like, gosh, this is surreal, but all yeah. of my suspicions about people really love music and they love live music. And I think, I mean, we, we are literally just... Yeah. I think we're still in the middle, actually. I would love to say tail end, yeah. right in the middle of a global pandemic and yeah. where people have been isolated and we certainly haven't been able to perform. Mm. And yet any of the mini performances we're now able to do, sold out, you know, standing ovations, people sobbing. People have truly missed connecting with art and musicians and being yeah. in the space with it. It's not just enough to have it playing on the stereo at home. So Yeah, it's just not the same. No. And yeah. I love that people are really realizing that that special moment of seeing someone sing to them yep. and chat with them and seeing a musician physically expressing something on their face as they yeah. play and hearing the sound created from that physical mm. expression is so essential yeah it's so magical it's so real it's so human and my god don't we need to be reminded we're human right now yeah absolutely but it's quite funny actually look at the times now it's almost like we were forced I said it's either been forced or thrust upon us to appreciate what we did have mm. because it got taken away for a short period mm -hmm. of time. I don't know if it got taken away long enough. And I appreciate there's people and with great empathy suffering and, and challenge right now, but for human behavior to shift and to truly, like, it, it's gone for a moment, so absence make the heart grow fonder, da da da, okay, I get that. But is it enough to keep the new behavior in place yet? You know, you talk about, you've talked about for repetition and like when you're learning to play an instrument, it's repetition, repetition, repetition. Well, same thing to shift human behavior. I don't know if it's been long enough yet. I think we'll go back. Yeah. Sadly, I actually do. But you know, we I... might come back. I don't know if we're going to go all the way back, but we'll go a long way back. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm hoping that, you know, there's a, that we can learn a lot from this in terms from a humanity point of view and the things that do matter most and the quality time with friends and family and surrounding ourselves with great music and art and culture and, you know, all this people in the rat race chasing to make all this money and like, what's it all for, for... in the end? Do you know, it's been wonderful. A lot of people have asked that question, actually. Mm. So if that's one good thing to come yeah. out of these last few months is people, um, even myself, why am I doing this? Yeah. Why, why? Why am I running this orchestra now? I know why I started it, but mm. is that still why I'm doing it now? And it's been a great opportunity to check in. And So there's, but there's two whys there. Like there's why you started the business for you, but there's why you started the business for the people you choose to serve. You know, what, you know why we started the business in terms of like our own businesses to, for what our needs were, I think, but then the organization of the business exists to passionately solve a problem in the world that you saw mm -hmm. and you know which obviously seeing that people didn't have that accessibility to or even appreciation or understanding through a lack of accessibility um, to such beautiful music like that because there would be their preconceived ideas about what that was or the experience would be like and so there's that may still exist today yeah but why you're doing it now might change yes um, yeah, and I, I just I think it's quite fascinating because there's always two whys to the Absolutely. and then the same for the team because you know once again you've got this really your public sense of purpose for the Perth Symphony Orchestra, but what's their personal sense of connection to that? Is that still the same today? Be interested to know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I would certainly challenge you to you know to find all that sort of stuff mm -hmm. out because right now so um, whilst. You know, obviously it's a very challenging and very empathetic. It's a very challenging time for a lot of people in that. Mm -hmm. The one thing I think that it could be a blessing that's come from all this 
is it's forcing people to take time to reflect on a bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of our personal and professional biases are possibly irrelevant today. You know, and so we need to really challenge some of those. And, so true. and if you look at beliefs, our beliefs are just um, ideas or concepts that served us at a certain time that we've tended to hold on to. But those beliefs might not serve us today and or into the future. Absolutely. So if you are set up where you have the opportunity to reflect while you can't run out and do organize all these concerts and all the bits and pieces, well, we should be using that time wisely to do some deep reflection and challenge our personal and professional biases and our opinions about things and um, reimagine a whole new world as to what's the next evolution of the you know, per symphony orchestra, mm-hmm. what does that look like? What's Because, you know, you started this in 2011, so if you went back to then to where it is today, is it the same organization today it was back in 2011 when you started it? No. No. And so in the next, you know, three years or four years, Sorry. will it be the same organization that it is today? I hope not. No. <laughs> no. You know, once again, I'm a firm believer, why you do what you do probably won't change, but how and what you do can and will change. And yeah. so, you know, you know, if you start thinking about what's that next evolution, if you like, of, of the, the orchestra. Um, I want to get into some questions in a moment, but you've done some amazing work and you're doing a lot of this community engagement programs. Could you just share with us a little bit, because obviously there's a bit of a passion there for that. And I noticed you did a lot of stuff with kids and, you know, younger talent. and Absolutely. Yeah. I just, because of its sort of transformational power and its music's power to connect people, you know, I see that there's a huge opportunity to do that, whether it's remote communities, regional communities, multicultural communities. You know, it's something I've really noticed that it feels, and to me, so, you know, if other people disagree, I absolutely respect that, mm. but it feels to me that Western Australia is quite siloed, mm. that we have tribes, quite clear tribes, so that particularly multicultural, yeah. we tend not to mix. Um, I certainly feel that, you know, my circle of friends here isn't as rich as it would have been in, say, London. And I don't think that's because it's less multicultural. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you look at the data, it's quite surprising. But also Mm -hmm. just our ability to really connect regionally simply because it's that challenging to drive in when you live seven hours away. I mean, you have to remember that even I grew up in a very rural part of the West Country of England, but Mm -hmm. I could be in central London in two hours, 20 minutes in a car. Yeah, well, I just came home from Geraldton Sunday night. I've got to go back up Wednesday night. It was a four hours drive. Yeah, it's huge. And that's yeah, just and there's Geraldton. there's really nothing in between. Yeah, and, you, you know, that's only mm. a microscopic way up the yeah. West Coast. Absolutely. So I really feel that for us to truly feel Western Australian, mm. and what does that mean, and develop a cultural identity, we need to start a statewide conversation or a statewide engagement where we're talking and moving and sharing experiences and people can go, wow, you know, I'm seeing this, this was traveled up from here or we're participating in this or the children in our town have got access to this you know so I really want to be able to shrink the state in a way through music through having that connection and that opportunity so we we have started regional touring that is the most challenging difficult expensive (laughs) logistically uh, interesting thing that you could possibly do with a symphony orchestra. Yeah, I wouldn't imagine it's just a couple of duffel bags of uh, you know, throw your guitar in the guitar case and throw it in the back of your combi no. van and drive up. The amount of planning <laughs> that it takes is quite extraordinary. And I mean, gosh, you know, and those musicians that have already toured have just been, you know, such gems. Like, for God's sake, put your cello in a bin liner inside its case because red dust gets through oh, yeah. every crevice, you know, yeah. and whatever you do do not take a harp in a trailer over a brrr, rough surface because said harp will 
explode. Yeah. Um, you know, so the, the challenges of getting instruments to some communities, just wow. simply, you know, if you're not flying in and the only way is by road, how do you take a hugely valuable instrument you know, across yeah. that terrain. So look, all of those challenges aside. Oh like, gosh. I mean, you run, but like... And we have to kind of literally imagine every minute of every day and temperature drops. And, you know, often you're hard to play outside because guess what? Beautiful performance spaces don't exist in plenty of remote you know. communities. And the damp that will come down in evenings sometimes. Yes. And all of those considerations, you know, instruments don't take nicely to temperature drops. So no. literally everything. But... If you can do it, and you know, thank God our state government is pretty committed to supporting groups to travel, yeah. and local governments are amazingly open to inviting us to come, saying, No, we want our community to have access to this. Yeah. So, a lot of people are working hard to make it possible, but you know, gosh, that doesn't take away from the immense challenge of doing it. No, absolutely. Yeah, but you've been, um, we're doing some stuff with some youth as well. Did I read? Yeah, yeah so we have a, a look at a growing education program mm. um which is hugely important but we do a number of initiatives we have one called women on the podium oh, yeah. which is giving the chance for women and emerging conductors to get out oh, um, wow. and conduct women conductors are an absolute rare beast and wow. since day one we've had a female conductor in jessica gethin um, and her career is going gangbusters and so i wanted to say well you know, Jessica set a precedent now. And actually, when we started digging around, there were a lot of young female conductors wow. who were really keen but had never really been offered an opportunity to do more than conduct their school ensemble. And we've literally given them the most amazing program over the last two years. And they are absolutely ready to step into a completely different domain. And That's so good. So these kind of things. So whether it's, you know, working with Indigenous kids and we've done some of the most beautiful projects. Mm. Um with indigenous kids and there was one particular um project started by the most remarkable woman called carla hart and she brought five different aboriginal dance companies to work with the orchestra and plenty of dance companies are formed basically from family groups yep so it's from the elders right down to the little east and um, oh gosh some of the little ones were absolutely adorable and just so keen and so proud to learn their culture but when you showed them the orchestra and we took them around to see every instrument and they wanted to pluck everything they wanted to they wanted to know how every single oh, thing so cool. sounded and yeah. they'd crowd around the french horn and crowd around the bassoon and one little kid was like but why are you playing the didgeridoo like that? And like the bassoonist is like, no, I know it looks like a didgeridoo, yeah. but it's got lots of keys on it. And we yeah. pl play a reed, but it's made from grass. And, yeah. you know, gosh, it was just so exciting. And the kids were just eyes popping wow. out of their heads that it was like a lolly shop of sound <laughs> and buttons and things to press and tweak and pluck and hit. And they were so excited by the orchestra. Yeah, so there are lots of really meaningful, beautiful projects we do. And yeah. for me... You know, because that mantra of the orchestra is not my thing, if you take that with you into adulthood, it's really hard to break that. There are yeah. so many barriers to you then going to an orchestra concert. Mm. But if as a kid you've had a magical experience, yes, that's going to change your openness for the rest of your life about what you're going to go and see and how you perceive something. So, mm. you know, we, we don't do half as much, Dave, as we would like in the education and youth space. Yep. 
but it's just something we're organically growing and it requires support. It's not a commercial activity. Therefore, right. finding ways to fund that out of our other activities is really, really critical. Yeah, I was going to say, what, what would be the barriers that would mainly just funding? A huge amount is yeah. funding. Yeah. yeah. And schools are just so busy. Yeah. And so even for them to stop, put the brakes on, and allow time for an orchestra to come in and work with them and for the teachers to organize that, you know, really mm. respect just how much teachers do. Oh, yeah. But it is, you know, it is challenging to have incursions coming into the school yep. and already when they've got so much pressure to deliver a curriculum and yeah. yeah so look, there, there's lots of interesting things that we have to overcome to get into a school or get into yeah. a remote community with young people but, you know, with incredible support and vision from local governments, understanding that this isn't just an opportunity, it's essential. Yeah. You know, that... And that's what you have to understand, like, that, like music is essential. It's... Oh, 100%. You know, you know, it's just, it's. I think it's the, you know, English is the most common language on the planet. I think music is the most common language 100%. on the planet. Oh, my gosh, 100%. Everyone can listen to music. Mm-hmm. Um, and know, because and, it, it speaks to the heart, the feeling, and stuff like that, where parts of the body where we don't have words. Do you know, I find it quite amazing that during this lockdown that, you know, the, the rules are you can't go out after eight o'clock at night. I'm mm. talking to our dear friends in Melbourne and whatever, yeah. but you're allowed an hour of exercise a day. Mm. And I'm just like, you know, I can guarantee you that people are doing three hours of music listening a day. Mm. You know, like, yeah. and yet, you know, we, we really haven't yet properly in Australia understood its value. It's yeah. just sort of seen as something, you know, I think people think that musicians just buy food from... I don't know where they don't need money to do it because yeah. you know the music is just going to keep playing or you know somehow it's yeah, magical because it, even when I was supporting and helping some of the local musicians up in the Midwest it's like there are so many people and I, and I empathize with them in terms of um, even when I was going at my starting my keynote speaking and, and normal just speaking career that I had for a while was it you never expect you to play for free but it's a wonderful opportunity to oh, yeah, absolutely you know and they think well hang on you're gonna get 750 bucks you want me to pay you 750 bucks to do three sets three 45 minute sets you're like yeah, but you're not paying for the three 45 minute sets you're paying for all the preparation the training the practice the rehearsing oh, you have no idea then going and setting yeah. up and then playing the music and memorizing and rehearsing and then unpacking and then you know 100 percent. you know and so if you look at your hourly rate you might make a little bit more working at mcdonald's oh you would Guaranteed. Right, and so then yeah. when you then when you suggest that they should do it for free to get exposure, it's far cheaper for the musician not to play. A hundred percent. But yeah. in today's world too, the opportunity I think is great with technology and you know, the ability to put your music up on YouTube and have reasonable low cost recording equipment to put some really good quality sound and play your own music and do stuff. The exposure you can get for free is there. Yeah. I don't need to do it at the pub. You know, if you want to get up on an open mic night, but I think we need to really start to get a stage where we're paying, you know, these musicians a reasonable amount to come in or choose not to have one. And look, you know, that's hugely our fault. You know, if, if we started charging for every seven minutes like a lawyer does, yeah. you know, like if we valued it, but mm. because we have to do it, because if we don't do music, mm. we shrivel. That's like, right, because it's part of you and it's a part of your passion. And, yeah. and so because of that, yeah. that you know, if we're given opportunities to perform, a lot of people will still say yes unpaid because we need to do that. But what an awful thing to prey on. You know, when it, yeah. I think in life, if something gives you joy, you know, you, you would pay a lot for a boat. Mm. You know, you pay a lot for a brand new barbecue. You pay a yeah. lot for things that you think are going to bring you joy. Yeah. The only thing you don't seem to pay for yeah. is music. 
Yeah. But... You know, and people are angry these days. They're streaming it. And as soon as they get asked to pay, and I'm just like, really? Why? Why would... Yeah. Do you not actually well, back want in my to contribute? Days, we needed to buy like an album. Absolutely. It was like thirty bucks or forty five bucks for really amazing. Didn't you treasure it? You, oh, you would God, save yeah. up and you'd yeah. look at the cover and it would. I remember getting Boston's so album there and yeah. the, with the coloured album with the, like had the print of the the case of the LP and on the on the actual album itself. It was like the big guitar spaceship on it and like that was like a so collector's cool. item. Absolutely. So, yeah, and now so look, we yeah. we as an industry. You know, it's great for us because we we have to challenge ourselves mm. to go. Yeah, of course we would do this anyway. We have to because we won't survive without music in our yeah. lives. But how do we encourage people to see its value? And therefore, we have to give a magical performance every single time we play yeah. without fail. We can't be average. Yeah. It has to be goosebump incredible every time someone comes out. So we need to put that pressure on ourselves to be that incredible. So people mm. are like this is worth it this is wow. worth investing in and i want to contribute and i will support this because if i don't it might not come back next year yeah so you know i, th I think it's um just time for us to really f find some amazing ways to overcome these challenges yeah yeah well that lead into the next thing is you know in terms of that evolution of your business but what obviously this is the evolution of business show and what i've found is a lot of businesses were very growth focused leaders had growth mindsets and i'm not saying growth is a bad thing but the challenge of business when you're just focused on growth it um you can actually grow into obscurity or irrelevance or so big i think you know blockbuster might have had its biggest year the last year it hadn't um but it became irrelevant in terms of because people wanted things um, they still wanted entertainment, but how they wanted it and what they wanted in terms shifted. Yeah. Um, and so how do you, what's your perspective? I always ask each guest, what's their perspective on growth versus evolution? How do you see the difference between the two? Or do you see a difference? Absolutely. I would suggest, you know, growth is something that you can force, you know, mm -hmm. that you can almost build a market if you want for something. Um, and we certainly have in a way. Um, but it's something that you strategically follow and work out your growth vector. Whereas I think if you're evolving, it's in response to amazing opportunities and you're being nimble and literally saying, my goodness me, look at that opportunity just open up in front of me. I will take advantage of that. Mm. So, you know, I think in many ways, Perth Symphony has evolved because I literally focused on creating magical experiences that were as good as we could make them on shoestring budgets every time but how could i do something so we had five words that every concert yep. had to be immersive memorable magical unexpected and fun and our concert master was like please add meaningful into yeah. that list and i'm like very good point we will add meaningful so every, almost like the core values every of... concert focused on that yeah. and i was like if we do that because if, if a concert is expected i'm gonna get mood music i got good music i'm gonna yeah. sit in my chair for two hours i sat in my chair for two hours yeah. if it's unexpected it can still be wonderful mm. but will it absolutely change someone's life so if we throw in what is it that i can make that's magical is it that you walk in and the place is flickering with candles is right. it that you walk in and it's people full of Germanic costumes serving beer, carrying steins. And yeah. you're like, whoa, I had no idea this warehouse could be transformed. Yeah. Or, you know, what's unexpected? Is it that during a Vivaldi concert, a saxophonist begins playing at the back of the hall, improvising jazz over Bach's air on a G string, a tune that everyone mm. would recognize. Wow. But then this world-class tenor saxophonist is guesting and he's just filling the cathedral with this. Or, so what are those moments that we can pick that will truly make the audience 
just go, my God, wow. This is is not something you download on Spotify. This is not something that you can watch on repeat on the DVD. This is truly, you had to be here. This is tonight. This is only happening for one night only. It's from those special moments. Correct. And as a result of that, that's kind of pulled us in certain direction. The business has evolved in terms of people saying, well, wow, can you recreate that for this? Or could we build on that? And yeah. it's developing the audience. And, you know, so in a, in a certain way, we've been reactive. We've literally gone where the opportunities have taken us. Mm. Um, so, you know, I sort of feel evolution is a way that just like human evolution, you know, the environment would change and therefore mm. we'd adapt and evolve to it. Yep. I feel that as the environment in Western Australia has changed, we adapt and go with that. Yeah. Another, so, another example would yeah. be George Michael passed away. Yep. And we had a phone call from ABC Radio because they kind of know the sort of stuff that we do and we do play from Nirvana to yeah. Mozart. Yeah. So, you know, they rang saying, look, could you just come and play something on air live, a piece of music by George Michael? And we had an arrangement of Careless Whisper. Yeah. Took a string quartet in and played this beautiful... Str- and I think it had by 10 o'clock that morning and this was like boxing day so yeah. the poor guys in the quartet thank you to those people that yeah. got out of bed and played and I know exactly who they were um, by 10 o'clock that morning 10,000 views had happened of that video and people saying what an astoundingly beautiful thing you should do this and I went you're right we should yeah. and we literally wrote and put the concert on sale within five weeks well I- so saying now is the time people are wanting to remember George Michael they want to remember his music in a really beautiful way in a a way that is elevating him and so to do this beautiful you know version that we did with the Whopper Gospel Choir and Matt Allen was sensational but so that you know I hadn't set out to go right this year's concert's going to be yeah I don't know if it's reactive I do agree it's very adaptive and that and you know it's uh, responding to opportunities Um, you know because I think you're actually being very responsive not reactive. And there's True. a subtle difference between the two in yeah. terms of reacting saying, oh, crap, we need to do something, whereas you're having a choice. Yes. You're, where we're reacting, you feel like you don't have a choice or that the other option is not great, but you're responding to opportunities. And, and I agree, like Darwin's work says, you know, that it's not the fastest, the strongest, the fittest, the smartest of the species that survives. It's the ones that's most able to adapt to their ever-changing right. environment. Yeah. And we are now in the most ever-changing environments that we've ever been in. Yeah. Um, and I think that's great. But yeah, I would just challenge you to say that, no, I think you're responding, responding to opportunities because you're still focused on that. You're creating opportunities because your purpose is actually creating these opportunities Correct. and you're responding to those. And to showcase WA talent. And yeah. so, you know, which we, is part of the whole yeah. point of why your organization exists and what you're doing. Did you do something for when Prince passed away? No. How cool would that be? But just so you know, we, there might be. There might be something that works. Okay, we'll leave that. Okay, lines. you never know. You'll have to stay tuned to find out about that. Um, so let's talk about your own personal evolution. If you think about your own life, um, it could be as leading the org- the organization or even just in your own life, what, was it, what would you think is the most significant personal evolution that you've been through? I think I'm going through it right now. Right now. Okay, cool. Yeah. And, you know, I think we discussed earlier mm. um, about COVID and asking mm. why. Mm. And... Yeah, before before coming into this, I'd sort of hit exhaustion point. Yeah. And it's not from the long hours. I actually don't think I work extraordinary. I mean, you know, yes, I'll regularly work weekends at mm. concerts and attend yeah. rehearsals at night. But, you know, when you read stories about Elon Musk, yep. you know, who literally sleeps for three hours a night and wakes to check his emails at 4 a.m., I do not do that. No, no. <laughs> um, and, yeah, I was constantly suffering ridiculous fatigue and just... And it's because my emotional 
energy is switched on 24 seven. So even if I'm not at work, I don't stop thinking about work. I don't stop engaging with people to do with work and, and don't get me wrong. I absolutely love that. But I realized that never being able to step away from this orchestra in any shape or form was really taking its toll. Um, and so, you know, a huge thanks to my board. I, I had to kind of work out what we were going to do and went to the board saying, I need your help. I actually need you to look at this from the outside, look at what I'm doing and what my role could be and how can I let go and what do I need to let go of? So I needed them to help from a governance point of view, a strategic point of view. I needed to do some pretty big soul searching about what was I prepared to let go of. Yeah, great. uh, Which is incredibly hard Mm. because I'm like, yes, but but I do that bit of the business and I, I'm the only one that could possibly do that bit of the business. Mm. And well, that's my bit of the business and control freak. Borby needed to just go, no, if all things being equal, if we had utopia and we had amazing people, what would I trust someone else to do? And what could I let go of? So look, this is still in progress, but I feel very excited. And the reason I know it's right and we're heading in the right direction is I feel calm about this which is not a word that anyone who knows me <laughs> would ever put in the same sentence yeah. as Bobby Webster, calm. Yeah. And an oxymoron or something, yes. Yeah, <laughs> and I need to be, I think, to in order to carry the business successfully, it needs me to have that objectivity, that sense yeah. of calmness, that sense of everything is controlled, it's not some raging train, which is what it's felt like for yeah. eight years. Um, and it can survive without me. Yeah. And I think that... And it might need to. In the next two years. Yeah. I always said within 10 years, and look, most people see the first concert was yeah. on the 13th of November 2011. Mm. I started putting the names into an Excel spreadsheet of who I thought should play in 2007. Oh, wow. Yeah. So this orchestra has been going a long time. Okay, yeah. It took four <laughs> years of planning yeah. as to how do you make a business work when you've got no investors and you need mm. to put you know, 80 people on a stage. Yeah. That's a big band with a lot yeah. of people that need paying. Yeah, absolutely. So. Yeah. And thank you for sharing that because I think it's really awesome, awesome to see that you can recognize that you're going through an evolution right now. It's kind of like leveling up. Mm. And in order to do that, you have to let go. It's so hard. Yeah. Because you first of all got to realize you need to let go. And for ages I was like, no, 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 I'm fine. I just need more money. Yeah. And actually, no, I, I don't need more money. I mean, yeah. wrong. <clears throat> Anyone listening? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd like to make a very substantial donation. Yes, not yes. going to say no. Yeah. But it's not about that. That was not, throwing more money at me would not have helped where I was at. No. So. No. Uh, and once again, like, because I think the true test of uh, any leader from is the permanence of the organization, the vision, mission, values of everything of the organization after you've gone mm-hmm. or beyond your time. And with legacy or whatever, from you, whether you want to continue this for the rest of your life, which is great. Um, but if you could build it so it doesn't have to have you there, Correct. it can organically grow on its own and you can just add value when you're around and that's an awesome thing. Yeah. But in order to do that, I, I, was, I always use it like a simple analogy, it's like climbing a ladder. You can grab hold of this rung, but you can't reach up to grab the next one until you let go of the one you're holding on to down below. Yeah. And so it was like, no, I have to do all this stuff. No, I have to do all this stuff. And I'm holding down to this bottom rung when I'm trying to lift myself up to the next one. Yes. And when you're doing that, you're not creating any space below you to bring the rest of the team you know, from a hierarchical point, though I don't like hierarchies and organizations, but you, you you need to evolve to create space and capacity for your team to evolve. Yeah. And when you don't, you're creating this Correct. ceiling. And so you're doing it actually a disservice not only to yourself, the organization, but also the team. I also... All these people who have committed. 
I completely agree. I also feel that for me to have space to imagine a different future, mm. which is what I've had some space to do during mm. COVID, yep. is only possible when other people do the daily grind. If I'm very hands-on with that daily grind, I have no space, time, energy, capacity mm. to go, where's that next horizon? Yep. Where is the next big leap? Yeah. And what will it take to get there? And a few things have happened and a few amazing people that I've met during COVID have really encouraged me to think on a whole different level. Yeah, great. And, you know, that, and I think I need to climb the ladder first to pull personally yep. up to where I'm at. But if I keep trying to, yeah. So look, it's really, ex watch this space. Yeah, no, I'm excited I, for you. I, I think it's really great. I feel we're in a really great place. And, yeah. you know, my board have been just incredible, I have to yeah. say, in the last six months. Like, yeah, awesome. who, who would sit on a not-for-profit board? It's an unpaid slog. Yeah. <laughs> but they truly really want to see this orchestra succeed and yeah. think that it has potential, which is well, blatantly obvious. I've <laughs> been going for this long and done all this work. I think it, yeah, we're past it I mean? has it's, potential. It's not just me yes. blathering on about this yeah. anymore. That it's, yeah, I think there you've proven true. the concept Absolutely. now. It's how do we take it to that next level, next, next evolution of it there. Um, so then taking it, is there a correlation between that and the next, uh, the most significant evolution of the business itself? Or would, was there something else that would have been more significant from a business evolution? Yeah, the, for the, the business evolution, I think from when it went to being a little cottage startup um, that was always just going to incrementally just keep mm. chipping away to becoming we have a home, we have an everything. Um, I think the first thing was meeting Tim Roberts and that for me is he's our patron right. um, and became the first person that said, I really admire what you're doing, how can I help? So he became our first benefactor in a way you know our oh. first um do major donor wow. taking a huge risk knew very little about us but in the not-for-profit world we don't really talk about investors mm. and yet in any business in order to scale yep. you need investment yep. well guess what a charity is absolutely no different and Correct. i had this vision of growing and i needed investment to grow and it's just not something that n someone would normally talk to you about but tim really got this mm. and you know he knew that i wasn't asking the return on his investment was not going to be his millions of dollars immediately no. who knows we might be able to yeah, you never know. <laughs> help him back in some way Hang in there. <laughs> down the line yeah but you know he, the investment back was that um you know i made a commitment and then um mindaroo foundation andrew and nicola forest joined him oh, nice. and in the space of a year that combined injection yeah literally it was like a slingshot wow. because suddenly i'd got money to invest in things i thought i could grow people projects um and it was quite, I mean, over 100% growth in 12 months. Wow. Yeah. And so, you know, and my goodness me, anyone out there that's giving a dollar, you know, that, that trust me, any donation to a charity is not a donation. You are investing in them changing the world and making it a better place for everyone to live in, including yeah. yourself, because quite frankly, you have no idea when you're going to need something that... Yeah, a I charitable organization a, offers. It's such a great thing. And I, I think you should say that one more time because it is so powerful. Anyone listening to this, I want you to listen to this, this part here. Write this down. That if you're supporting a not-for-profit. That any every single person donating a dollar mm. to a not-for-profit organization is literally investing in mm. your own future in a better world because that world in which these charities operate are making it more livable, more hospitable. They're enriching lives. They're saving lives. They're yeah. doing all the stuff that most people don't really want to do for a day-to-day -day job. Yep. So that donation becomes an investment in your 
literally in your society, in your humanity. Yeah, which is great. And right now, investment in humanity is a wonderful thing. It's funny because uh, from a business point of view, you talk, you know, talk to a lot of business owners, leaders, entrepreneurs about, you know, they've you know, got their, you know, revenue is a vanity metric, profitability is a sanity metric. But I'd say, what's your humanity metric? Yeah. And I think yeah. I really challenge people to know, like, what is the humanity metric of your organization right now? How do you measure the humanity of your organization right now? And whether it's through philanthropic or corporate social responsibility or the way even you just treat your people, it's, you know, mm-hmm. um, and then so when you, if you're donating money to an organization, I love that, that you're investing in your own future by giving to that organization. Of course you are. Because um, what is, this concept what is of that life without though. any sense of culture? Correct. But it's, yeah. you know, how, gosh, what is life without culture? Yeah. Do you know, I spoke to a group of leaders mm-hmm. recently and was very privileged to speak to the 2020 cohort from leadership wa and i always find it so inspiring because you have to present this is my second year i've done it and you present to them and they have to ask you questions back and those questions back are usually genius like what i learn Mm. from what they ask tells Mm. me so much about what i should be doing and where i should be going you know so this is great yeah it's it's just absolutely fantastic but you know that what i said to them someone sort of said well and very good question and I get asked it all the time. But hang on a minute, you're up against all these charities where people are dying and mm. women's refuge shelters and yeah. cancer and medical research. And I'm like, you know, and they said, so how do you build that case mm. for you? Yeah. And I'm like, well, a extremely good question. Yeah, very good question. Yeah. Um, but straight back on the money is there is absolutely a case for saving a life today. But what? why if if we're keeping them alive, for what reason, into what world, mm. if all we're trying to do is keep people alive and not pay any attention to making life a joyful experience, then Yeah, the difference between existing and living. Correct. Then, you know, I don't want a subsistence for everybody. You know, that yeah. the second thing is if we did a social experiment and I was to switch off all music, and I love, Dave, that earlier you yeah. said it's an office orchestra with tapping and typing and that buzz. You are absolutely correct that sound and pitch in any shape, disorganized or organized is music in my view. So birds singing, you name it. If we did an experiment tomorrow to cut that out, so every single bird noise, every single cafe, no car stereo, that essentially the world became silent. The only thing was conversation. I can guarantee you within a week there'd be anarchy. We would literally fight one another that mm. we wouldn't be able to express ourselves. We wouldn't have music that would... And music vibrates in us. Yep. And so when you get into your car and you pay a beautiful piece of slow music, I promise you, you could have gone home to yell at your family. If you put that on in your car, by the time you get home, yep. you will be in a completely different mindset. Totally so the agree. level of violence... We would need so many more of those other charities if you cut the arts. Yeah. And so what people just you know really need to understand is just how fundamental it is and the fact that it envelops us and surrounds us every day is the thing that makes life bearable and yeah. brings us joy and gives us goosebumps and those days where we just simply laugh because why not yeah. is usually you laugh out loud because of some incredible experience oh, absolutely and i think that's so wonderful like you know the, the music is to me it's it's for all seasons all reasons all times all places um, like when I'm, you know, mood, when I was writing my book, I used to put on American songbook, the classics by, with Rod Stewart, mm-hmm. I'd have my cigar and a whiskey and I'd be working on my keyboard. It just set me in a, a nice place to, my mind was calm and relaxed and I could let thoughts come out and, yeah. 
you know, or, you know, depending on what I was doing and what I've been listening to. And, you know, I have very eclectic taste in music. So I do like some of my classics. As and stuff we like all that. should. Yeah, As but, we but, all should. But it's, the, you know, and when you're upset and sad and you play it on a song and you just allow that emotion to run through you. And it, sometimes it's, it's, you know, cathartic almost. It's like medicine of sorts. Of course. It's, I mean, nowhere is it more apparent than the movies. Yeah, but, you know, I always say... Yeah, watch a movie without any music. Correct. But also a football yeah. game. When a yeah. goal is scored, just clap. You know, don't have the duft of exciting pumping music. You know, I mean, yeah. I can't begin to It'd tell be golf you. Then, wouldn't it? <laughs> Point made. <laughs> Although I'm a golfer, so. <laughs> uh, but you know, it it literally is I, yeah. the only way that I could really ever show people the value of music and art is to take it away. That's to right. strip the art, strip the streets of sculpture and street art, mm. strip the world of all sound and only yeah. then when it and if it's gone it's too late mm. you know like how how can you rebuild an orchestra once you've let it go yeah so it's it's yeah. a case of those of us that are in it will keep fighting every day to say that it should exist and we need to invest and educate um and thank god there is always just a critical enough people that want us to keep going and that's why we do what i would love is to create a revolution where we really blitz it so absolutely everyone is like i live for these moments when i can be so here maybe with my the friends. next evolution of the perth symphony orchestra is a revolution correct Ooh, yeah stay tuned <laughs> we have some big plans oh, we're very, good. very so ambitious so we are very ambitious okay so let's talk about the future um you know what do you see as the future work future of leadership future of organization what are you looking at looking for what are you seeing maybe what aren't you seeing um, you know, if we're telling anybody listening at this, I mean, obviously you come from an not-for-profit space, which is always you know, interesting as well, but arts and culture. Um, and I really think the diversity of thought for some of the, the more uh, pragmatic business people who might be listening to this, your take could be very powerful for them to understand. Oh my goodness me. I think what, what do I think the future of leadership is, is bravery. You know, I think the resilience that everyone has had to show throughout this, that we've had to make decisions really quickly. We've had to make decisions about moving the company forward. Do we retain staff? Do we not? Do we invest in that project when we have no idea if we're heading for a monster recession? You know, mm. I think anyone in a leadership position right now has a slight sense of nausea every time they make a decision because of yeah. the absolute lack of certainty as to what environment we are making that decision in. Mm. I've had to really feel brave. You know, I wouldn't sort of say that in front of my team but you know I'm like oh come well, on maybe listen to this podcast of the behavior. yeah <laughs> listen, I'm sure they won't I'm sure they won't um you know so well I hope they do actually Dave it's clearly brilliant what you're doing and my gosh actually I wish that everyone at actually at all levels of my organization you know I employ a pretty young workforce yeah. um you know because they are so rich in ideas and they are brave because they don't really realize the implications yeah. of big decisions yet. Yep. So they're quite brave and we should do this, Bobby. Let's, if you want to try that, let's go with it. Yeah. So that's exciting. But, you know, I feel that I've had to be really brave, you yeah. know, make some big girl decisions, you oh, know. That's... But talking to a lot of other people in leadership yeah. um, roles, we're having the same conversation. Yeah. We're like, how do we know what if we're making the right call, you know, to be cautious or be reckless or, you know, what is that? because the the next 12 months feels very rocky. Yeah, absolutely. But you know, once again, the only way you'll know is by making those decisions and finding out and learning from them. Um, you know, making those decisions and turning a blind eye to them is not smart, but bravery. You get out there, you have a go, you learn. You, you know, all these entrepreneurial gurus out there would tell you to fail often and fail fast. Yeah. 
because that's how we learn. You did not get to be who you are today, Borby, without making the mistakes you've made 100%. that you've learned from. You've yeah. made mistakes you didn't learn from, but the ones that we've learned from. So what makes us think going forward into the future that we can do the same without making mistakes? Yeah. Now, the only difference is we used to be in sort of predictable times. It'd be 10 years of this, 10 years of that, right? And, but now going forward, these are probably the most uncertain of times that our generation has experienced. But this should be the most exciting of times. Mm-hmm. Because there's no opportunity in predictability, but there's plenty in uncertainty. Yeah. So you, especially for an organization that likes to break the rules and create music for everyone, in an uncertain world, there's no more rules anymore. Absolutely. So I mean, for us, it's you know been, and I'm I'm absolutely seeing it as an opportunity, but that doesn't make it any less terrifying. No, no, no. I'm, yeah, but, not you know, taking that away from. So me. I mean, a million dollars worth of our business, which represents over sixty percent of income mm-hmm. at present, although yeah. as we are growing. We are growing yeah. so fast every year. Um, but over a million dollars has disappeared. So all yeah. local governments are like, we will not be able to afford you. And a huge part of our business was um, working very closely with local government mm. to create magical experiences that would bring their communities together where they live. Yeah. So playing in Rockingham and Quinana mm. and different suburbs. Um, and that's disappeared overnight. So yeah. now we're left with saying, right, so we have to make our own future. Yep. We're going to have to sell more tickets to our own performances. And, you know, will people pay for a ticket in suburbs where they've previously been given the orchestra for free? Mm. You know, there's some big tests that we're going to oh, be yeah. doing to say, will people love us enough to still want to come? Mm. Can we dare to go and put concerts on in these places that have drawn huge crowds? And will 10% of them buy a ticket mm. to see, you know? I guess so, you know, a bunch of symphony flash mobs walking through some shopping centers and local leaders to promote and uh, also people are like, oh my God, this is amazing. Well, hey, by the way, here's tickets. Here's the... tickets, yeah. yeah. So we, we really yeah. will have to make our own future. Yeah. It's not that we weren't making our own future yeah. before, but in a very different way Yeah. going yeah. forward. Yeah, it's just cool. So um, I've got one more question for you mm-hmm. uh, before we wrap up, and it's the random question. You can oh, pick a number from 1 to 31. You warned me about this. The yes. whole conversation, I've been sitting here going, what is he going to pick? Yes. No, you get to pick. Well, yeah, I know, but I don't know what the numbers are. I bet, I bet 1 you to do. 31. Okay. So you get to pick a number from 1 to 31, and you, I'll ask you the question, but you must answer the question. I think I'm going to go 31. Wow. Because by the time you wrote that question, you would have thought really hard and run out of lots of ideas, so this one should yeah. be a cracker. Okay. Actually, no, it's not. <laughs> no! It's going be, be interesting to see whether you'll choose to answer this. I, mean, okay. like, I know you'll choose to answer, but you might... I was going to say, do I get a choice? No, you don't get a choice to oh, right, not okay. answer, but whether you have an answer for it, it might be another one. Okay. Because um, you haven't talked to anything about this in throughout the podcast, so... Who is your favourite sport team and why? Oh, wow. Yeah, so do you have a favourite sport team? And there is a reason why that's number 31. This is going to be really interesting, actually. <laughs> Look, I am a former coxswain at an elite level, so I've competed internationally. That's, that's rowing. rowing. Yes, okay. Yeah. Correct. And is that the one you just yells, stroke? Stroke. Oh, trust me, it's infinitely more involved than that. Okay. I am literally the conductor of a rowing crew. I can change its tempo, speed, attack, everything through my voice and emotion. And there's always a point in a race where the rowers win the race, yeah. for sure. But there's always a moment where collectively you can just feel that they're about to not win the race. Mm. That It's an infectious thing. If one person's just beginning to like... Whew, 
and you can just time that perfectly to say mm. something that will pick everyone up at mm. that given moment the boat will fly and sometimes just sometimes you feel like you've helped them win the race so it's a hugely psychological it's an incredible but the job oars or the paddles are the bow and the water is the string and you strike it across and you make beautiful no, music across you, look yeah, if you if you strike a peachy rhythm yeah. in a rowing crew yeah. my god i mean a, a men's yeah. rowing eight you can water ski behind it that's yeah. how fast it moves yeah. so as a person coordinating that hmm. and helping them get that precision yeah. it's utterly mad. i mean you feel like you are flying a symphony so the, there would be one rowing crew that i coxed which is a women's novice mm. eight so forget all the international crews this one women's novice eight that should have been a accordion that i coxed that mm. um was pure poetry in motion for some reason on that day we dead heated three times in the final mm. and to row with a crew like that and to be able to motivate so that that women's rowing eight from london rowing club back in the 90s would be my favorite rowing team historically okay. my current favorite team i think has to be mercedes in formula one. Oh wow because to be that dominant and that perfect and know that it's a mix of finance engineering technology fitness oh yeah but sheer talent in yeah. particularly lewis hamilton at the moment mm. i mean he's just unbeatable really i mean he's in the best car but yeah. even without the best car so watching and i've got into formula one through my partner and i i never thought that i would enjoy it and look i'm still not a mega fan don't get me wrong right, don't yeah. ask me too much yeah. data but i absolutely appreciate the elements of the team that make yeah. it that brilliant if you ever want to study high performance teamwork i think formula one and those sorts of things are like amazing to, to like it's its own orchestra yeah like the parts all moving together and hundred yeah, like percent. But there's all the pre planning. I mean, yeah. to, you know, when you see them set up yeah, every amazing. fortnight and they're essentially rebuilding mm. one of the most technologically advanced garages you are ever gonna see built yeah. out of a shed. And I when we build our production office and we build our stage mm. and we go in in a day, mm. you know, I totally appreciate the analogy of yeah. even how you build that thing has to be done in the right order so that everything is ready. But on the day, even watching that pit crew and yes. I'm always kind of going, can they, you know, get lower yeah. than 2.3? I think 2.3 seconds is the fastest I've seen this season yeah. for a pit stop change. But seeing those guys who are normally probably everyday mechanics yeah. used to being able to fix a car in a day or meddle mm -hmm. and tweak. Yeah. They have to deliver in 2.3 seconds. Yeah, not only perform their task, but they have to have the fitness and ability to run in and out. hundred percent under uh, that amount of pressure. Yeah. And they're doing it on television yeah. with, I don't know how much of a... Mm. And those musicians on stage, like the similarity mm. of going, well, you can't, if you play a wrong note, you can't go back. Everyone heard it. Yes. So the pressure they are under mm. to deliver in a new setting, on a new course, and a yeah. new... Anyway, I'm blathering. No, no, no. But that's, I think that's but still my good. Answer it's, it's a wonderful... my answer is current Formula One Mercedes-Benz well, racing team. Awesome. Now, if anybody wants to learn more about the Perth Symphony Orchestra or find out more about you or wants to donate, perhaps, and invest in their own future. Invest in their own future. Um, where, what's the best way to contact you or to, to reach out? You absolutely must subscribe to our newsletter, which is okay. at perthsymphony.com. You must subscribe. Well, because, yes. you know, Facebook, even with their algorithms, yeah. mm. even if you follow us mm. on Facebook, I don't know if you're going to see what we mm. offer. The only way that I can 100% guarantee you that you will know the best tickets in the house and the yeah. most amazing initiatives and where we're going to be performing is through our e-newsletter.
Right. And is that on your website? To yes. Perth so perthsymphony.com. Hit Perth? the subscribe button at the top. Just perthsymphony. Perthsymphony.com. I'll make sure I put it into this podcast. But obviously everyone is social media savvy. So you can yeah, yeah. at Perth Symphony, yeah. Facebook, Insta. I'm sure if you just them. Google it, you'll find it. But we'll give the most direct. Correct. I'll put it into the podcast and the video here. So um, thank you so much, Borby, for sharing that with us. Uh, and like I said, I'm always fascinated by the work that you're doing. I love the stuff we were talking about way back many years ago. Um and everything that you're doing and I cannot wait to see what the future has for you in the Perth Symphony Orchestra um, and just thank you for all that you're doing for the arts and culture um, for people and bringing this to to all of us and building that bridge so we can all come across thank you and, uh, it's truly I think it's, well, it's epic we spoke about being brave mm. and you know I think in life you are always rewarded if you are brave if you dare to do something yeah. so for anyone listening that is literally the symphony is not my thing mm. Perth Symphony does a lot of concerts, both ticketed and free. And there's pretty much no excuse to not just at least try. Yeah. Because I think that anybody that comes to see us will will be rewarded and will have a night where they feel yeah. something that makes them absolutely delighted that they came along that night. Okay, so you have to make a commitment to at least sample once. Have a go, test, try it out, find out. Take one journey across the bridge. Yeah, 100%. and you might just get surprised because it's epic stuff that they that you produce already. And I, like I said, I can't wait to see what the the future is going to bring for you guys. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. It's been awesome. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. dot <laughs>